welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Well, what a difference a week makes. Last week, we were previewing the Pakistan-England series about to kick off. Timing has been fortuitous for us. We're going to get to talk a wrap-up of that first test match at the Emirates Old Trafford. In this week in cricket, we look at the postponed T20 women's tournament, men's T20s. We talk about Australia 2022. We also have an interview with Nick Kelly, who's off to the Caribbean Premier League in our CPL preview. All coming up on the Top Elder Podcast, episode 33. Raj, coming to you first this week. Yeah, so what caught my eye uh, in, cricket, uh, in the world of cricket this week is... What, what, are, we, what are we doing again? It's cr- cricket. <laughs> did you say? Yeah. What did I say? Oh, you might have said cricket. Okay, anyway. What caught my eye uh, this week in cricket was the um, resolution around the three World Cups that's been uh, bouncing around like a pinball for the last six months or so. So with the Women's 50 Over World Cup, that's been deferred 12 months, I believe. Yep. Uh, and the... There's also been a resolution around the two 2020 World Cups that are coming up in 2021 and 2022. So uh, India will host the 2021 2020 World Cup. <laughs> it's getting ridiculous. We're going to have to find some sort of so, system so it, here. So India are hosting the 2020 World Cup, but in 2021? Well, <laughs> so they already had the rights for the 2021 World Cup. Right. So technically they retain those rights and Australia's won. But then they defer those to another country. Well, the, no, the Australian one gets deferred to 2020. We're supposed to be making this less confusing yeah. rather than more confusing. <laughs> all right. I'm going to buy a calendar and I'm going to put all the tournaments on I, the calendar. And I I'm wouldn't. Going, I, I think the calendar might change again, to I'm, be honest. I'm putting it in pencil. I'm not going to pen them in. I'll just put them in little pencil. We're going to rub so it what do you guys think about the, the new rearrangements? Well, who who's benefited here? Because there's a lot of chat that I've seen people sort of saying... Calendar you know, salespeople. Well, exactly. <laughs> but Australia kind of getting shafted a little bit here. But to me, it feels like actually by 2022, hopefully the world is kind of back normal and, ho- and you know, sort of hopefully we'll, that will be the more normal tournament. Whereas 2021, I know it's a long way away still, but potentially that's the one that is more at risk. So maybe India isn't as benefit and uh, isn't benefited as much as they everyone's kind of making out. Well, the the way I see it, so the ICC put out a couple of reasons for keeping it like this. So. Uh, firstly, the 2021 World Cup, all the rights deals and everything like that is already signed, sealed, delivered. Mm. So they don't have to make any changes to that. Uh, they do have to make changes to the 2022 World Cup. Uh, they would have to have, to have done that either way. Mm. This way they could leave one set in stone and just focus on the other. And then the other side of that coin is that Surav Ganguly came there and he said, we have the support of the Indian government mm. to run it in 2021. And Australia couldn't come and say that they had the support to run a 2020 World Cup in 2021. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair enough, isn't it? I mean, I yeah, also saw the similar thing about, you know, hopefully they've got the same kind of deal in, in the UAE and that they've got uh, an opportunity here to host it there because, yeah, look, I mean, we still don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's we want everything to be back to normal as soon as possible, but this could drag on for, for a long time, obviously. Yeah, I guess it's good that there's a little bit of clarity now. We, I, I, I think the key thing is we probably know in that short term as cricket fans what is coming up. Mm. I guess the players get a little bit of time to prepare and do their due diligence on the tournaments that they are going to play in. Mm. But I, I still think it's really subject to change, isn't it? It's only going to take one infraction in a bubble somewhere. And uh, yeah, it's going to cause some yeah 
course some head scratching and yeah, Baldy to get the eraser out on his on his penciled in calendar. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just touching on that women's World Cup. So that was postponed a year because of the like the disparity in preparedness of different teams. Allegedly, it wasn't anything to do with the organisation or the ability to host the tournament. But it was quoted in an article in Crick Info as the disparity in the level of preparedness of the teams is the reason behind them moving that tournament. On a serious note, touching on that Women's World Cup, I guess it has been look a relatively recent phenomenon that there's a lot more money coming into that women's game. How much is that going to set back, do we think, the individual players? You got an oil on that, Baldy, from your Australian contacts? Because I guess... You know, the men, some of the professional men in England, for example, have been put on this government furlough scheme. Mm. Test players have had to take a bit of a haircut, apparently, in this West Indies-England series with match fees being reduced, I think, for the West Indies mm. team, I, I heard mentioned. But, you know, a lot of these women cricketers were getting relatively modest retainers. Mm. Um, I just wonder whether that's really impacting them, that they've given up jobs in order to, you know, have a professional contract and now both might be at risk. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I would imagine that the players who can play in the Women's T20 Challenge that we talked about last week on the show or the Women's Big Bash League are going to be substantially financially better off than those who can't. So the T20 Challenge being the Women's IPL? Yes, correct. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so I think the players who are able to participate in that tournament are going to reap the financial benefits of that. Those that can't are going to be left further and further behind. So while they've postponed the tournament for 12 months, ostensibly to give teams an even playing field, I think perhaps the unintended consequence is that those teams that can play in those marquee tournaments or those players who can play in those marquee tournaments are going to be far better off financially than those who can't, unfortunately. Those uh, big two, big two nations, England and Australia, most of their women are on retainers, though? Are they not on a base contract? Yeah, so I wasn't necessarily talking about the international contracts. I was thinking, yeah, certainly in terms of the way that a lot of those things have, have worked. There have been six, some of them six-month contracts, I think, um, a lot yep. of the women have got. Um, and obviously have given up role, you know, roles and other jobs and other responsibilities in order to, to play. Yeah, and my understanding is that in Australia that's changed very recently in that those cricketers now are able to have a full-time career as a cricketer rather than, you know, up until a couple of years ago having to balance being a, a, a work, you know, another, having another job and, and playing cricket in the summer as a as a four- to six-month contract. Those WBBL cricketers, I, I understand now, are contracted full-time, 12 months of the year, um, enabling them to focus full-time as professional cricketers. So all of the players in that squad have got a 12-month that, That's yeah. my understanding, yeah. I mean, players on the fringe um, may, have, may have different contract situations, but my understanding is that if you're in one of those Brisbane Heat or Adelaide Strikers or, or Perth Scorchers squads, main squads, then you'll have a 12-month a contract. And I believe that the the rate of pay has gone up substantially in that those cricketers are able to use that 12-month contract to make a living out of it um, rather than having to supplement that with, with other work. Yeah. Well, look, I guess one thing is uh, hopefully we can add to the jersey wall because whoever is you know in charge of the kit and the merch for these World Cups now has got a little bit of uh, time to come <laughs> up with something as beautiful as that England jersey there that's modelled on that 92 retro which has got to go down in history as the best uh, the best oh, tournament cricket great. jersey they were, awesome. they were superb what else have we got in this week in cricket then want to talk a little bit about that Ireland England ODI series Lippy going to come to you with your Irish connections oh it was just fantastic to see Ireland pull it out I mean we we talked last week about uh, you know that they hadn't really given a good account of themselves in those first two ODIs but 
it's the fact that they just chased down a mammoth score that uh, you know England England still carried on the same way, targeting over three hundred, and then just Sterling and Balbuni that partnership's just awesome. And and you know you sort of I was massively rooting for them to to get home at the end because you don't want to see two guys going out and get a hundred and then get out and then you know they just fall away at the final hurdle. So mm. I was stoked that they they got over the line. Yeah, the young fella came in at four. I was quite surprised that O'Brien didn't come in with the game and the balance. That was right on a knife edge there when when both of those senior guys were dismissed having made big scores. But he he managed to get it right, and, mm. and O'Brien came in and, and got a couple of full tosses that he dispatched into the stands and really tilted the equation back in Ireland's favour. But it was a fantastic chase. Sterling and Balburnie hadn't scored runs in the series thus far. They were a little what, not out of form. You can't be out of form in a two-game two-game span, but they didn't score runs. They needed to for the team to win, and they did a fantastic job. Full credit to them and full marks to Ireland. The key for me in that one is I look at that relationship between Ireland and and England, similar to New Zealand and Australia. You've got that big brother, little brother sort of thing going on. That victory of that sort of magnitude must give them so much belief and go, we can actually play with these guys. Because to be honest, I mean, maybe I'm being... uh, not not being able to see the the history, but I can only think of the two thousand and seven when Ireland's pulled off a big upset like that. They beat Pakistan. them in the T twenty. I think they beat them in a T twenty World Cup game as well. Yeah. So the and also and in if, India and, as well. And in yeah, India, Bang, that's Bangalore, right. I yeah. think. So yeah. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. I, look, I think for me, what it proves is that those associate nations and you know Ireland have obviously earned their Test match status now as well. That's got to be the advert for larger World Cups, particularly. You know the T20, uh, you know the T20 edition, which mm-hmm. you know it is feeling as if it was going to be marginalised. I know it was going to be increased to 16 teams, but it's just showing that you know those guys can not just prove an upset because it's not an upset when it's happened. You know, three, four, five, six times. Yes, they're not going to have the depth of squad that some other countries are going to be able to call on, but they are now in that sort of realm where they're producing their own cricketers. They're not, you know, relying on some of those expats that have naturalised there and, and sort of come through. I'm thinking the likes of a Trent Johnson or someone like that. Mm. You know, they're producing some really, really good cricketers and hopefully they can hang on to them as well because obviously the likes of uh, Ed Joyson and Owen Morgan, Boyd Rankin, uh, you know, have gone and played international cricket because they had that opportunity. I, ju- I just hope that some of these guys, now they have to play as overseas players in county cricket, mm. um, don't, you know, take that almost sort of like semi colpack type route to, yeah. you know, mm. to go and... You play professionally. It's gutting, really, that they have that big win and then there's no cricket for them. That's yeah. the most disappointing yeah. thing about yeah, this whole for me. You know, there's just nowhere for them to go. I saw Paul Sterling's actually gone back to play at a club. I don't know if it's a final or a semi-final or something. Because, yeah, there's, there's nowhere else for him to play, you know? Mm. We, we were supposed to go there in June, were we not? We were going to Ireland. Yep. So yep. Um, there was a victim of the COVID scheduling. But yeah. No, I think it's really good. I, all it is is they just need to be more consistent now. They've got those skills. Just one thing before we go, Curtis Kempfer, mm. he looks like a genuine superstar for Ireland. He's come out of the South Africa to play, I think, club cricket in yeah. Ireland, yep. had a net and was that good in the net that the coach said, no, well, we're going to play you in this series. Came out on debut, scored a 50, second game scored a 50, third game didn't get a bat, but he looks like a real good one for, for Ireland for the future and, and fantastic that he's able to join them and, and play. I think he has an Irish mother or father. Um, but oh yeah, he looks like a real a real live wire for them. Twenty twenty one, twenty two years of age. Yeah, and again, just hoping he gets enough cricket. Yeah, 100%. for them in in order to kind of progress at the rate that he would want to. 
Well, that wraps up this week in cricket. We will be back after the break to talk about the England-Pakistan test that's just concluded at Emirates Old Trafford. Welcome back to the Top Order podcast. My turn to introduce a segment this week. We're going to talk about the England-Pakistan test just completed at the Emirates Old Trafford. And as the resident Englishman and very smug man on the opposite side of the table to me, let's go to you, Adam. What were your thoughts on the first test? Well, look, first and foremost, I'm not smug. I'm really happy that we won the game, obviously. The one thing I'd say, this is a great advert for four-day test cricket, right? The whole summer has been concluded with, so far, three four-day test matches. So, yeah, well, well, I'll just jump in here to say that the West Indies ones were actually finished on the fifth day, and yeah. it was a poor advertisement for four-day cricket because otherwise those tests would have just been null and void, and what England would have lost the series, I think. Four. Yeah, but, but they were all in a bubble, so it didn't matter what day it was. They could have... What, Four days as long as there's a rain day included. Yeah, I exactly. don't mind that. That's fine. No, uh, look, I'm being slightly flippant, but I think but all those games have accelerated really, really quickly, I think, over the course of the summer. Look, this was a cracking game, wasn't it? It really did ebb and flow. I think um, watching a little bit of the last session, really important for me that England did um, put the foot down um, and get towards that total just before the new ball was taken, there was you know a few overs with that new ball. I think if there'd have been 30 or 40 runs more or 10 overs difference in the state of the game, it could have been a different kettle of fish. Um, but yeah, they put the foot down, you know, got to that total because the pitch seemed to go to sleep a little bit. Certainly when the ball got, you know, 40 um, to 50 overs old. I think when you kind of look at um, England, they actually got their ball reversing in about the 25th um, over in, in the second Pakistan innings, which made a really big difference. But Pakistan couldn't seem to get that same, yeah, same juice out of the ball. I think uh, when Pakistan look back at this game, I mean, obviously that third innings is, is where, you know, things fell to bits a little bit. Obviously yeah. they put on a big, decent score there, even just a solid score, and, that, and they've got enough, you would have thought. But more to me, it's the fact that they didn't get to that fifth day because the pitch started to go a bit for Yassir Shah at mm. the end there. And the fact that he couldn't bowl, I feel like even if they had that score, but they were bowling a bit later on and, you know, another couple of hours of sun on that pitch, then another day and he would have been an even bigger handful than he started to get to at the end of that. Yeah, he was a real handful, wasn't he? He was getting turn and bounce. There was a couple, I can't remember who it was to, but I think it was, oh, it was, it was Root. It, no, it was Root. Um, he bowled one and it went sort of way past and Root sort of did well to drop his hands and get out of the way. It was He was starting to become a, a real handful. What I liked from Pakistan, though, was that they started the test match and started the series with really good intent. We watched on that first day, Shan Masood and Abid Ali push the ball into the covers or tuck the ball around the corner and run really positively between the wickets. Mm. We didn't see that from the West Indies throughout that tour. And I was really impressed that for the first day and a half of the test match, Pakistan were right in it and they showed really good positive intent. Ultimately, they took one risk too many with that run out of Shadab in the second innings, and that's really what started the rot for Pakistan. And I think that was a real turning point in the match. But there's a lot to like about their batting, um, one or two guys aside who we'll talk about. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was a, a really positive intent for them and a real difference from what we saw in the previous three tests. Yeah, just, just to un unpack that a little bit, a couple of things you guys have said. So the pitch did go to sleep. If you got to that 50-over sort of mark and you had batsmen still in, mm. they could really score freely at four and over, and you saw that in the fourth innings especially. Um, I also think it was important that we mentioned last week that Pakistan 
for them to be effective with the ball, Yasir Shah has to turn up and be really effective. And the thing that really impressed me about his bowling throughout that test match was in the first innings, he was bowling far too fast and far too short. Mm. And he had that sort of cut ball, you know, you see in a one day, yep. one day game. Yep. Uh, and it was just letting pressure off. But he came back, he took four wickets in that first innings. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he, he was really unlucky not to get more in that, mm. that, that fourth innings. But I think he bowled really well. And he's that kind of cult hero that Pakistan actually need. Mm. Those 32 runs he yeah. scored on that morning were really important. I don't think he scored all of them, but he scored a lot yeah. of those runs was really important. I'm, I mean, I switched that on and watched and I was just like, oh no, not again. Like Last wicket or, you know, a couple of wicket partnership was going to get away. And then obviously, luckily for, for England, they managed to knock those last two over. I do want to talk spin a little bit. So uh, Shadab only bowled, like I think, 11 or 12 overs in the whole game. Mm which was a lot less than all of the other Pakistan bowlers. Mm. Is that a selection thing? Was the skipper not trusting him as that second spinner? Or was it just the kind of pitch where you wanted to have a spinner one end and a seam of the other, do we think? I think there was an opportunity for Shadab to bowl a little bit more, particularly, as you said, when the ball or when the pitch went to sleep a little bit in that middle over period, an opportunity to have spin from both ends. Um, but the Pakistan bowlers, the, the, the seam bowlers, a bus was always at you. Um, and, and Shaheen got got a little bit out of the wicket. I think, yeah, Shadab could have bowled a little bit more. He doesn't bring as much energy and attitude as, no. as Yasir Shah does. Um, he's a, you know, he's just, he, do, he just lacks that something. He bowls okay. You know, the release is good. He's got a nice action. Gets a little bit of turn. though, doesn't he? he got yeah. it. And that, uh, <clears throat> I don't think he should have bowled in that fourth inning. You know, he was bowling at the crunch time in that fourth inning. And it, he just let, let things slip a little bit right when they were starting to bring a bit, bit of pressure on again. And that's the real challenge with, with a guy like that is he's the guy that's going to get targeted as that fifth bowler. You mm. see a, occasionally gets away with bowling a bad ball because mm. he's got that X factor about him. He's got turn and bounce. He bowled a really good slider mm. that just gets batsmen thinking about those things. I know that they were talking about Shadab bowling a lot of wrong-ins and how good his wrong-in is, but ultimately those guys were sweating on that one bad ball to get their four and over, and that's what they planned for. Joss Butler and Chris Wokes talked, and Adam talked about it before, really planning for trying to get that target before the second new ball and they set themselves up perfectly for that but yeah Shadab just let that pressure off a little bit with more runs to play with or more time we might see a different story mm. but he he was the weak point in that in that bowling attack so that Yasir Shah and you're right his bad ball is that couple that we just talked about but the um the bad the bad ball that Shadab was throwing up was a four or a six yeah. it was that yeah. massive six that um <clears throat> Butler hit which yeah. just changed the momentum, yeah. uh, that bad ball that he has. We have to remember he's only 21. Mm. He was selected as a second spinner in bat, but uh, I think there is, you know, that wasn't the time no, for him I, to come I, into. Yeah, the I, no, that's I'm a, not that's really right. critical of him. I just think it was the, it was the wrong call to bring him on at, at that point. Yeah, um, you, we touched upon Joss Butler there. Your guys' thoughts on his game? Well, he's gone from from zero to hero, isn't he? In a, in a day, I mean, you'd see what a difference a, a week can make. I mean, uh, what a difference a day can make. I, you know, you're just scanning the the cricket Twitter yesterday, and and he was just everyone was saying, you know, no matter what happens with this result, big questions for England. Mark England Butler, you know, can't continue like this. Blah blah blah, and you know, now he's won them the game. I mean, surely he. Ha I mean, he has to play again now, doesn't he? Yeah, look, I, I don't doubt that he's going to play. Um, for me, though, I, there's still some real question marks. He kept tremendously poorly, and I think that that's not um, 
hyperbole at all. He did not have a good game with the gloves. I think probably highlighted by just how well Rizwan kept wicket in this game. Um, some amazing takes off Yasha uh, Shah. Um, catch standing up, um, that little glove that, that he Stokes took. One. Yeah, Stokes one was an absolute uh, legend catch. But I think the fact that Butler's got the guys home, yes, he's gonna he's gonna finish this uh, summer series, I think. But when you put the flip side, he cost as many runs as he's actually ended up needing to score. If he takes those chances, we're probably talking a very different game. I also think going overseas to the subcontinent, which is where you know we typically spend a lot of our time in the winters, um, he's going to have to really improve his game as a keeper. You don't want to be dropping the likes of a Virat Kohli or missing a stumping. He's still yet to take a stumping in test cricket, by the way, and obviously he's got to have chances created for that. And then can you imagine Brisbane... Um, ashes in 18 months or so time and you just, uh, you know, dropping one and seeing Dave Warner or someone like that go on and get a couple of hundred. That would be, mm. um, yeah, pretty harsh. So, look, I still think there's a lot of work uh, for him to do. Still hasn't got his second Test Match 100. So, yeah, kind of got out um, just before he really should have done. But I've got to give him some plaudits. It, you know, it was set up perfectly for him in many ways. It was a one-day innings that was required um, and you saw the unfurling of all those reverses and laps <clears> and sweeps and when he saw that short ball, the, you know, the six, that's, you know, really taken on the fences. That, that reverse sweep, it seemed like a real tactic against Yassir Shah, which I thought was quite surprising. Like, that's that's a pretty difficult shot, but I mean, guess maybe it's not these days for these guys that practice them all the time, but, you know, number of batsmen were playing that shot against him, which mm. is, you know, not something you'd see against a leg spinner in but a test match for... Getting yeah, I mean, it's just it's just chaos. I, th I think it's mental, but you see Jimmy Anderson, it's probably the best shot he's got in his locker. So they obviously, do, you know, do practice it uh, yeah. a hell of a lot. It's almost come like a, a forward defensive. I think, I think that's also based on the field, right? That area of the field was open and the yeah. ball's spinning that way. Why not have a go? Yeah. But on on Butler, it was eerily familiar to uh, to a time last year, wasn't it? There, we know. Oh, just and, uh, move on. I know we don't want to talk about it, but you have to. Oh, get, right. It's not a fluke. Yep. Mm. he's done it twice. Mm. Uh, we've talked about certain New Zealanders like Martin Gupta who struggle playing red ball cricket. Mm. Imagine it's a white ball and play the game like that. Look mm. how successful he is. Yeah. I think it was Bumble or one of the one of the English commentators said right at the beginning when I when I first started watching that well, after Ollie Pope got out. This is a situation made for for Josh Butler, and mm -hmm. he, he you can't take it away from him. He did it. Incredibly well. I, look, I I really like him. Um, I want you know the best option. I want him to be our equivalent to Gilchrist. I think the question that I would always ask is, England keeps saying they'd rather give a guy one test too many than not uh, enough to, or one test too few. Um, I really hope that if someone like Folks does get a go, they get as much of an opportunity as we've given to Bairstow and and Butler in the past. Um, and especially with this bowling conundrum, which I'm sure we'll come on to now. Um, James Anderson, one wicket in this uh, test match. Broad, uh, again, putting in a stellar performance. Um, Archer probably not really at the races in this game. Copped a bit of criticism, I think, for his speeds again. Mm. Um, so, yeah, th there's going to be that horses for courses in the bowling. But, yeah, I, I just hope guys are given an opportunity. But um, for Butler, really hope he does go on and cement it now. And yeah. I'd, I'd like to see him score 100. Yeah, he's made runs at six. Is um, let's let's move on. Actually, let's let's move on and let's talk about Chris Wokes. Chris Wokes, man of the match performance was Adam, man of the match. Yeah, Adam, Adam called it this time last week. Would have picked Wokes in his side. I agree. I think he's now 
firmly among England's best three fast bowlers and has to be considered strongly to be picked in every test match that, that they play. Um, he was excellent with the ball. He had a match-winning innings under pressure with the bat. Hasn't scored runs or a lot of no, runs. his batting's been poor in the last sort of yep. six months and or so. And he's spoken about how he was disappointed with his lack of runs but has come out and, and made a match-winning 84 not out to, to see his side home. I think he's firmly ensconced in that in that number eight all-rounder position, bowling all-rounder. A lot's been made about his stats and how good a lot of his statistics are. But you can see on the field, he's he's mercurial. He does something with the ball. Given an opportunity with the bat, you know, did did really well. I really like what I saw from Chris Wokes. He's fast becoming my favourite England player. Um, Is that because you you like his hair and beard combo as well? That helps. Uh, uh, good facial hair among elite sportsmen is something I've spoken about for a long time. Um, but he, yeah, he did a, he did a really good job. Where do we stand on uh, this criticism of, of Anderson? I mean, um, yeah, he's you think. Uh, it's the same with him and Bess in this game. They had chances go against them, and suddenly their stats don't look so good. But you take those chances, and then, you know, who knows what would have happened. But, I mean, I guess it comes down to, do you think they actually bowled well in that game? To me, uh, uh, Anderson is still Anderson's still a top-class bowler. I, I don't know why there's so much criticism about him. But, yeah, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Yeah, well, the, so. I don't think that pitch was was made for him. Even mm. though doesn't he have a stand at one end? Yeah, he does. But, uh, he's got an yeah, end named yeah, after I, him. I don't yeah. uh, on end. Yeah. James Anderson end. Did James Anderson yeah. Yeah. Oh, end? Beautiful. Yeah. Did he bowl from that end? No, he no. bowled from the no, other end. Right. He bowled from yeah. the Brian Statham he, end. He likes to look at his own end when he's running <laughs> the ball. Fair enough. Um, I don't think it was the pitch for him. I don't think that's a, mm. that's a slight on on him. It was definitely for one for the people who who just hit the deck hard and that's what the Pakistanis did really really well mm. um and yeah I, I'm not, I don't I don't have a criticism of James Anderson I just don't think it was exactly his his pitch interesting though that we're talking about it being not his conditions for many many years he's been a man for all conditions for England and regardless of whether or not it was his pitch he would still be got the guy picking up three four five wickets he hasn't picked up a second wicket a second innings wicket so far I think in the in the test matches that he's played which is unusual I don't think it's because of lack of form. I don't think it's because of lack of pace. He's bowled really good pace. Yeah, his speeds have been up there, sort of 84, 85. <clears throat> I, I wonder whether the swing piece, so obviously, you know, they're just using a bit of back sweat or whatever rather than saliva <clears throat> to shine the ball up. It, it certainly hasn't moved as much as you've seen it in England in previous summers. The batch of balls, they always talk about that. I know when we went into play that Australia series uh, most recently, we you know, we, we went back to a batch of balls that we knew would swing and we had enough of them in the locker because apparently you need, you know, 120 cricket balls for a test series that are all from the same, you know, same factory and, and same uh, same batch of cricket balls. I don't think the criticism is founded for, for Anderson. I still think, you know, 600 test wickets. What I'm really interested to see though is how they manage this rotation because... Is it going to be based on a predetermined, you're going to miss this game? Is it going to be based on, we're going to look at the deck and see what we want to do? Or is it going to be a little bit of a form thing? Because if it's a form thing, it's not rotation. It's actually saying mm. your form isn't there. That for me is the definition of therefore being dropped. Mm. So really interesting to see who, you know, who comes in. For me, and you know, I made my prediction last week on, on the same attack that I would go in with. Um, I'd be leaving out Jofra Archer for next week. Um, and, you know, I certainly think that my three best bowlers at the moment are Anderson, Broad and Chris Wokes. 
And I saw they brought Ollie Robinson into the squad. Are we thinking he's just a net bowler to, to kind of match one of those other Pakistani bowlers? Or what's what's the deal there? Well, I think he was in the, he was in the obviously in the 15-5-man yeah. training squad and then into that sort of test squad. I wonder with Stokes' injuries, whether there's just a little bit of a domino effect and then trying to bring in someone that's going to offer them... Um, yeah, offer them that sort of same style of, of bowling. You know, he's not rapid. He's a, you know, he's a mid-80s type bowler. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just wonder whether it is cover for a number of eventualities, depending on how Anderson and Wokes and, and your man Stokes pull up. Do you think England will go with three seamers and a spinner for this next test at the Aegeus Bowl, or will they stick with the same team that they've played in the last two tests and, and won both tests? No, I've no idea. I've yeah, I, I'll take the Joe route, which is you know we want to have a look at the pitch on the day of the game. I, yeah, typically don't get as much pace down at the Aegeus Bowl, so um, you know I, I think to Michael uh, Michael Holding's point, you know if you've got someone ninety five miles an hour, they should play because they take the pitch out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, look, I, I certainly think um, yeah we might see a little bit of a shuffling of the pack. Um, helps that the game's finished in four days so there's that extra day but the game i think starts on friday so they're coming pretty thick and fast and the one um, afterwards is straight after as well and answering your question michael i reckon that england will be a bit concerned with how that top order has has worked and only having six batters Mm. uh if if they fall early like they did in the first innings you saw what happened they only got 200 they didn't have batsmen available when they reached that 50 over mark uh, so I think that will come into it. I don't know whether they will play another batsman, but... Well, and if they don't play another batsman, then Wokes has got to play, because otherwise it's a bloody long tail when yep. you start introducing a, you know, a Robinson or a Mark Wood back into that fold. We, you know, Wokes probably is a very good test match number eight, not quite a seven. Mm. I'd say Butler is, you know, a seven, not, not quite a six. Um so, yeah, I, I, I think that then means that, you know, Wokes has got to play. I think you're right there to say that England should still be a bit worried. I mean, I was really impressed with what Pakistan oh. delivered. I mean, they, they uh, firstly, I, I loved the fact that they were so positive and so it seemed like they had so much joy uh, on the sideline supporting. Mm. When Shan Massoud got his 100, they were like absolutely going crazy. It was, it was fantastic. And I mean, they let's not kid, kid ourselves. They dominated most of this test and then just had a, a poor little patch in that third innings, they still were going on target to win that game and then one partnership's taken it away from them. Mm. I think it's interesting that you've got some of those legends of the Pakistan game in the camp. We talked to Wasim Khan, obviously the CEO of Pakistan Cricket, not too long ago on the podcast. I've heard him speak since and he, he's spoken a lot about the spirit within that camp with the likes of Amushtaq Ahmed, Yunus Khan making copious notes Wakar Yunus, but yeah, they seem to be really pleased for each other and, you know, very, very together as a side. And yeah, just to agree, you you said that, um, you know, England should be worried. Of course they should. England have played now four test matches in these quite alien environments. Yes, Pakistan have had some time in a bubble and some time to play some, you know, pretty decent practice games, but this is their first real run out in a long time. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to pull up at the Aegeus Bowl in, you know, finer fettle than they did coming into this game and, yeah, I still think this series is well and truly alive. T- tactically, uh, Joe Root, I thought there was a bit of a, a bit of a faux pas, definitely around the new ball in the very, very first innings when he came out and bowled himself. Mm. Uh, it was him and best bowling, and Pakistan got away, yeah. got away to a bit of a start in that second Just session. Momentum got lost, mm. didn't and it? Yeah, and then that they ended up on three hundred because I remember going to bed 
after they bowled, they had a really good morning session, and I thought, oh sweet, they're out for two twenty, two thirty here, and then I checked in the morning, it was three twenty six. Mm. So, what do you make of of that? Yeah, look, I I don't think root, uh, and look, I, I'd say this as a as a a microcosm of the of the of the game at the moment. I don't think you've got the same calibre of captaincy brains in world cricket as you probably had an era before and really difficult to compare eras but a lot of these guys don't get to play too much provincial cricket first class cricket um, captain their side learn their craft I think the analysts obviously come in and they've got the plans that they you know that they go to I don't think that you see captains working things out on their own as much because they've got this backroom staff to rely on when you go back and think of the likes of a Mark Taylor, you think of the likes of a Michael Vaughan, who's often vaunted. Um, yeah, I, I just yeah, I, I just don't think that you've got that calibre of captaincy. And Root, I don't think has really improved massively in his tenure as England captain tactically. They made a, a great point on the commentary. I mean, Nasser Hussain, uh, right at the start of that chase for England, he touched on uh, it was going to be a big day for Azza Ali as a captain. And... I mean, very prophetic comment because um, it, you know that it came to be such an important part of mm. that whole fourth innings. But what uh, Michael Atherton then came on and said was that all of Pakistan's wins under Azza uh, Ali and all of their losses had been by big margins, and he'd never actually had that opportunity to captain the side in a close game. And, and I mean, you touched on it there, yeah. That that is where you learn, like, oh, I actually I should have done that, or I should have done this. If you're getting blown out, or if you're winning by a huge margin, you don't you don't get that opportunity. And it is a skill, captaincy. It's not something that you're just able to do and go, oh yeah, I know the game, and I can just rotate my bowlers around and I'll win. It's mm. a really important skill, and and yeah. And the pressure gets multiplied when you're not scoring runs as well. So when you're a captain that's under pressure because you're not holding your place in the side, not that he's under a lot of pressure, but he's in a bit of a lean trot as a rally. He hasn't scored a lot of runs over the last little period of time. Um, so he's going yeah, he's going to be under a lot of pressure, and his captaincy wasn't outstanding. We touched on the Shadab Khan thing. I think there's a lot to like about Pakistan cricket, but are, are there anything? is there anything that we think that they want to address going into the next test at the Aegeus Bowl? Are there any changes they've got to make? Do they need to change their tactics somehow? What have they got to do to turn this around, to turn what could have been a win into a, a pretty devastating loss for them? I actually think that the Pakistani batting performance was poor. Uh, that might be a bit harsh, but you take mm. that 150 out or even 100 of that 150 out mm. and it's a very different game. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we talked about how good the English bowlers were and how they would be prepared to, to play. And I... I I was disappointed with how Pakistan batted, definitely when they had um, Babar Azam in and stuff in that first innings. Mm. I thought they were set for a score 400 plus, and then mm. all of a sudden they, they didn't get there. I didn't even think they'd get to 300. Mm. Well, the only only three guys really got runs in that first innings, and they all got to a, a reasonable score. But in the second innings, lots of starts, but no one really went on to make a decent match-winning contribution. Yusir Shah's 33 was the top scorer in the second innings. And the, the other point to make with that, Pakistani batting lineup is that they've you've got probably number eleven starting at mm. number nine. They've got a very long tail that yep. that can't bat. So that's the other side of the coin there. Mm. Well, we've got Fak as a man banging down the door, so um, that that might be a change. But no, look, all jokes aside, for me, I think it's the the bowling lineup, and it's often the case, isn't it? Your your batsmen don't fire, and you you blame the bowlers. But 
I think the Shadab uh, selection will take, you know, will be taking a look at, I think, going into the Aegeus Bowl. But look, I don't think either team need to really make too many drastic changes. I think, it, you know, it was a really good game of cricket. Um, and yeah, look, really looking forward to Friday at the Aegeus Bowl. Just lastly, before we go, we've got to give credit to the ground staff at the Old Trafford. They've produced three wonderful test cricket wickets back to back to back. Not easy to produce one good test wicket, let alone three in a row. They've done a tremendous job and will probably sleep for the next couple of weeks, you would imagine. Yeah, unless they've got to get some first-class cricket on and then they'll be, uh, yeah, they'll be awake. But yeah, no, absolute credit to them. And I know they've panned to the groundsman a couple of times during the coverage and yeah, he looks like he definitely could do with one of those hotel rooms for a few uh, a few nights, Kip, I think, and a buffet breakfast. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, well done. He can have as many items as he likes. Well, look, that wraps up our review of the England-Pakistan test. First test at the Emirates Old Trafford. We're going to be back after the break to talk Caribbean Premier League. See you soon. Welcome back to the pod. For all of you who've got your test cricket fix, um, that's all good, but we need to talk some white ball stuff as well. And what's coming up is the Caribbean Premier League. We were lucky enough to have a chat with Nick Kelly, who had a stellar season for Otago, which has got him a Guernsey for the Saints, Kits and Nevis Patriots. But we're going to just have a quick chat about the CPL before we listen to Nick's thoughts. Bordy, I'm going to come to you first because you are our resident format explainer. So here's the Caribbean 2020 Premier League in a nutshell. 18th of August to the 10th of September, six teams from all the islands in the Caribbean will contest the Caribbean Premier League. 33 Is matches. Guyana technically an island? <laughs> Remember, these explainers are supposed to make things more clear for everyone, not raise extra questions. No, okay, I'll, I'll be out. Bordy, sorry, back back to you. Six teams will contest. <laughs> <laughs> Take three. Go yeah. Six teams will contest the Caribbean Premier League. The Barbados Tridents, the Guyana Amazon Warriors, the Jamaica Tawalas, St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots, the St. Lucia Zooks and Trinbago Knight Riders. Oh, that's from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, from August 18 to September 20. So the semifinals are on September the 8th. One plays four and two plays three for the right to play in the final on the 10th of September. So all grounds, uh, all games, sorry, will be behind closed doors at either the Brian Lara Cricket Academy or Queen's Park Oval, Port of Spain. And that's the tournament in a nutshell. Here we go. So sounds pretty exciting to get some white ball cricket, some big names, representation from New Zealand and, of course, your homeland, Baldy, Australia. Um, who are you going to be barracking for? Well, I've got to take the St Kitts and Nevis Patriots. So for Chris Lynn and for Ben Dunk, that's, that's enough to get uh, Mike Guernsey for sponsorship. But also... Uh, Nick Kelly as well, the guy that we're going to talk to just just now, and Ish Sodi as well. So uh, fellow leg spinner, I've I've got to back them, and also a uh, lot to like in their in their batting lineup with Joshua De Silva, who we liked from the Test series, and also Sheldon Cottrell, the salute man, will be playing for that side as well. So lots to like about the St Kitts and Nevis Patriots for me. There's some decent names in there, Evan Lewis as well, pretty explosive at the yep. top top of the order. Sounds like a, a good pick. Lippy, who have you gone for? Uh, I'm going to be cheering for the, the Guyana Amazon Warriors, uh, mainly just because of Imran Tahir. I think when we talked to Todd Astle, he mentioned uh, the celebrations that Tahir does and, and that, you know, we all know that he runs to the boundary every time he gets a wicket. A lot of people hate that. I absolutely love it. And I think Todd said, you know, that uh, Tahir said that he deserves to do that because he's worked so hard on his craft. And, uh, you know, as a fellow spinner and... Uh, knowing how hard you have to work to, to get every single wicket, I think I'll absolutely love it and I'll be cheering for him. 
Oh, bore off, Lippy, with your spinning stuff. <laughs> a, a, a lot to like in that side, though. Nicholas Perrin, Shimron Hetmeyer, mm. and Ross Taylor in that batting lineup. There's plenty of runs in that team. Yep, yep. Let's go. Let's go, Warriors. Ross. <laughs> 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 I just picked up the connection there, is that because they're called the Warriors? Oh, the, the fact that they're the Warriors does help a little bit, but yeah. Fair enough. Raj, who, who have you picked based on, you know, the colour of the uniform <laughs> yeah. or some other factor? No, so I, I've picked the uh, Trinbago uh, Knight Riders, so that's a cool little uh, connection there or contraction of the name. What's your favourite 80s TV show? You love a bit of the Hoft, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, I bet Trinbago, the, the contraction of the two islands there. It's great. But no, there's a, there's a good New Zealand influence there, so coached by Brendan McCullum. Uh, and the overseas talent is headlined by Colin Munro, Sakanda Raza, Tim Seifert, Fawad Ahmed. So they're the Australian league spinner. Mm-hmm. And then the local headliners there, they've got Kieran Pollard as the captain with the two Bravos, Dwayne and Darren, and Sunil Narayan. So that, that's a decent team. I think they've got a good shot of, of winning this. And yeah, go, go Knight Riders. Bravo, bravo. <laughs> well done, Kit. You've, you've, everyone's come here for the in-depth analysis and they're, and they're getting it right now. <laughs> Over to you, Binksy. Who have you got? Um, so I am going to go for the Jamaica Talawas. Um, and look, the simple reason for that is, um, for those of you who don't know on the pod, I'm sure I've mentioned it several million times, I'm lucky enough to play a club season with Andre Russell. So any side that he's in is a pretty decent T20 side. Also got, you know, a, a decent smattering of talent from around the world as well. So we've got Glenn... Phillips, um, we've got uh, we've got some awesome West Indies talent as well. Fidel Edwards, what could be his swan song because his county contract is yeah not going to take place. I think mm. um, this year. Really looking so- forward to seeing Jermaine Blackwood as well. Obviously, mm. just seeing him on this tour from a Test match um, perspective. So those are the guys that I'm going to be um, looking out for. They've got a bit of pace as well with old O'Shane as well. So. Um, for me, the the, the Talawas is my uh, my pick for the tournament. And we're hoping Sky Sports going to uh, show it here in New Zealand. We're not 100% sure, but, but we yeah. believe they've got the rights. I'm pretty sure they've got the rights. Uh, everywhere I check online seems to suggest that they've got the rights, so hopefully we'll, they'll be showing the games. What time are these games, do we know? Probably early morning. Uh, yeah, I would early think so. Morning, like yeah, yeah. So we talked to... Thing. Yeah, yeah. when we talked to Nick, we talked to him about midday today, uh, and that was... Uh, 8.30 at night for him. So if they're going to be playing these games at, at night, then, yeah, it'll be sort of during the days, which will be tougher for us to watch if we're all at work. But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll get some coverage. Well, it looks like highlights. in the schedule that there'll be a day game and a day-night game on each day. So on the 18th of August, it kicks off with the Trinbago Night Riders against your Warriors, Stu, during mm-hmm. the day. Grudge match. <laughs> and then my Kitts and Nevis Patriots will be playing at night. So they'll play two games a day mm-hmm. uh, by the look of it. So we'll get a day game and a day-night game. Awesome. Packed schedule. Well, that wraps about, you know, tremendously in-depth and scientific preview of the Caribbean Premier League. One thing I would say is the coverage has been brilliant in the last um, couple of years. Real um, atmosphere obviously won't be that atmosphere in the grounds with them being played behind closed doors. But I'm sure from a marketing perspective, you know, they're going to do everything they can to bring a bit of the Caribbean to our televisions as we watch this T20 comp. But that wraps up our preview. We'll be back after the break where we talk to Nick Kelly, who was good enough to spend a little bit of his downtime um, with us from his hotel room to talk about the tournament in a bit more detail after the swish. So after finishing the Super Smash in New Zealand as the third leading run scorer in 2019-20, our next guest joins us from Trinidad as one of the newest members of the Caribbean Premier League St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots. 
McKelly, welcome to the Top Water Podcast. Yeah, g'day lads. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So, I guess firstly, congrats on the, the CPL contract. That's awesome. How did, how did it all come together? Um, yeah, it was it was pretty uh, it was a pretty bizarre one. I was um, I was just at home um, in Auckland on I think it was must have been the twenty second or something of of uh, of July was a Saturday, um, and I got a got a text from um, from East Saudi, he's a pretty good mate of mine. He said, oh, um, I've just had a just had a call from uh, one of the the I think it was the assistant coach of the St Kitts team saying." Um, just requesting your number, and I initially thought he was, you know, having me on because he's a yeah. bit of a bit of a jokester. But um, yeah, and then about half an hour later, I got a text um, from the assistant coach who has actually now been replaced. That's that's all the squads and stuff have been changing daily yeah. here. So, um, yeah. but yeah, so I, I had a text from him, and he, he was interested in having a chat. So uh, he gave me a call, and. Um, yeah, so that was mid Arvo on the Saturday, and then by about 11 p.m. that night, it was it was sort of a done deal. So it was um yeah, it was a pretty manic sort of 12 hours for me, um and then I left the following week. So yeah, um yeah, it was it was yeah like it was, it was just a whirlwind sort of yeah 24 hours. And, and you're over there now. I mean, um, are you quarantining at the moment? Yeah, so we left we left last Sunday. It was the Ah, uh, sorry. We left on on the Tuesday, the twenty eighth. There was a mammoth journey to get here, just with sort of the lack of flights. So we went from Auckland to Brisbane, Brisbane, Dubai, Dubai, New York. Had fifteen hours in New York, and then New York to St Lucia, and we had three days in St Lucia, which was good. And yeah, there was no quarantining or, or anything there, so uh, that was pretty chilled out. We had three days at a at a pretty nice resort with the majority of the the people coming from overseas. Um, and then, yeah, last Sunday, uh, we had to get a chartered flight from St. Lucia to Trinidad. And, um, yeah, one, once we got off that flight, obviously all the islands are their own, own country. So there's different rules and regulations. So we got off that plane and yeah, it was, it was clear from the get go that the, you know, sort of the, the, the COVID laws there were a lot stricter. So we got off the plane and, yeah, we're straight into mass social distancing. Um, everyone there was in sort of full PPE gear, and then yeah, as soon as we got to the hotel, we yeah we were straight into into quarantine and haven't really been allowed to allowed to leave the hotel room since. So it's uh, what's it been? It's been today's day six, so we've got one more full day, and then yeah, we can sort of from the the second sort of seven day cycle is a little bit looser. We can expand our bubble and start to train and go to the gym and stuff so that'll be pretty excited for that yeah nice i mean what's the the quarantine hotel like i've i've sort of been seeing the reports from like the nba bubble and stuff and they're all complaining about the food and um but it sounds like they've got a pool there and they can go fishing and play table tennis and stuff now are you gonna have stuff to go about yeah um yeah it's it's not too bad yeah it's, it's just an interesting one so like this first seven days it's it's literally been you know within the four walls of your room so yeah we, we haven't been able to leave um the food's sort of a knock and drop sort of system yeah you get three meals a day it's it, like to be fair it's been it's been reasonably tough in terms of sort of like the physical aspect of it because you know the, the guys are going to come out of this with you know not a lot of conditioning 
Um, but yeah, there's there's a few guys who have you know thrown up some videos on Instagram and stuff, and they're just doing laps in their room. And <laughs> yeah, there's a few guys going a bit loopy. But yeah, the, like the hotel itself, it's it's a it's a Hilton hotel, so it's a it's a reasonably nice place. It's just at the moment these first seven days they've been pretty strict. So yeah, hopefully in a couple of days time it'll be it'll be a little bit looser and we can sort of yeah just just relax a little bit more. Was there any part of you, Nick, that hesitated to leave the relative safety of New Zealand to, to take on this new challenge? Yeah, yeah. Um, that that thought didn't even cross my mind. Initially, when I got the call, I was just, you know, I had such elation and, and was in such disbelief, really, that this opportunity had, um, you know, I'd be given this opportunity. And then sort of once the emotions started to settle and I thought about it a bit more, I had a few people saying to me, oh, do you think it's the smartest thing to do, given the you know, the current global situation. So, yeah, I sort of spoke to a few people and I spoke to a few other guys who who were travelling over and then um, all us Kiwi guys who were coming over had a um, had a Zoom call with a, with a doctor um, and he sort of gave us a few bits of advice and stuff. But, um, yeah, after sort of weighing everything up, it was, it was an opportunity that, yeah, for a player like myself who you know, hasn't represented New Zealand yet and, you know, something like this hasn't really even been on my radar. Um, the opportunity was just too big to, to give up. So, yeah, like I said, like I'm here now and I had a COVID test come in and, and it all tested negative. So um, I'm all healthy. It's just, yeah, the only issue that's sort of weighing on people's minds a little bit is, you know, will we'll be able to get home just in terms of the flights, you know, changing daily and mm. the laws changing, mm. you know, it seems like the laws are changing every week in different countries and we're a long way away. So, um, yeah, well, you certainly had a, a great domestic summer here in New Zealand, as Stuart mentioned, third leading run scorer in the super smash here domestically. How have you been able to stay in, in good touch or keep your training regime up during our lockdown here in New Zealand? Um, yeah, so, so lockdown came, um, when was it? it was sort of March, which was the end of our domestic season. Um, so we, we were due to have two four day games, um, but they got called off. And then I was actually, so I'm actually from Auckland, but I was living in Dunedin for the summer. So I, yeah, as soon as the season got um, got called off, I just jumped on a flight and went home. And then the lockdown sort of happened a few days after that. So yeah, the season was over. And then obviously I thought at that point that the next game of cricket I'd play would, would be for the vaults in, in the middle of October. So that was sort of where, where my planning was going and how my preseason was, um, was sort of shaped up. But yeah, like I said, it all happened real quickly, and um, from the moment I found out I was going, to the to the point where I jumped on the plane, yeah, I probably had two or three hits, which, yeah, which was probably not enough. But by the time we get out of the this quarantining period, I, yeah, I, I should be able to get enough volume under my belt to feel reasonably confident. But everyone here is in the same boat, you know they they're all going to be coming off or, you know, out of quarantine pretty raw. And yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be, be interesting to see how everyone manages that. Indeed. And it seems like it's come together in such a hurry that you might not have had an opportunity to meet or get to know many of the members of your squad, although your, your good mate Ish is there with you. Yeah, I've actually only met, I've actually only met Chris Lynn and Ben Dunk, who are part of our team and Sahail Tanvir, who's, the, so there are three overseas plus Ish. Um, I've met those guys just in St. Lucia when just because because we all came together there for those first three days. But other than that, I haven't haven't met any of the other squad yet. Um, we actually had a, a coach. Uh, his name's Simon Helmot. He was uh, coach of the, the Melbourne Renegades for a bit. 
Um, but unfortunately, he tested positive the day before he was meant to leave. So um, we've actually had Mark O'Donnell, the old um, Auckland Aces coach, replace him. So he's actually he's actually uh, rooming next door to me. So we've had a few conversations and stuff. So it's good. Yeah, it's just good to have another familiar face here. But yeah, I haven't met any of the any of the local boys yet. So that's yeah, pretty excited for that next week. And and you you know Mark from around the traps in, in New Zealand. Um, I haven't had a lot to do with him. Just just when we played the Aces, um, yeah, I hadn't hadn't really had too much too much to deal with him or, or many conversations. But yeah, we've actually been let out of our rooms. We got a message yesterday. We're allowed out for an hour a day, just yeah. out onto uh, one of the one of the hotel terraces, which was. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you've been locked in for five days, it was it was a bloody nice message to receive. Um, and he was out there one day, so yeah, we've we've been yarning a little bit, and um, yeah, not too much cricket, just just sort of getting to know each other. And and um, he's obviously been here a few times with um, different teams, and he coached Jamaica for a bit, so he's he's given me a few tips on you know what to expect and and you know what's going to differ from New Zealand conditions. But no, nah, no, nah, he's he seems like a real good bloke. And, and I mean, have you possibly not? But have you been able to have a chat about what your role and um, you know potential game time and expectations are for the tournament? Yeah, so I was dealing with um, I was dealing with the assistant coach who has now been replaced. Um, he he was a guy who I think he said he was the batting scout for Royal Challengers Bangalore, and he, due to his IPL commitments, has now been replaced actually by Courtney Walsh. So. Um, it's a hell of a re- hell of a replacement, but yeah, um, nice. so yeah, the, the the phone conversations I was having with him, he was sort of saying that they were going to look to bat me at three and four, um, which was you know sort of where I've been batting last season, so um, that was awesome to hear. But yeah, the, the the few conversations I've had with Mark, he's pretty unsure at the moment where I might fit in. But yeah, it's like I said, the squads and the management have been changing so quickly that the actual talk about the cricket has been minimal because, you know, the admin side of things has just been pretty manic the last sort of week or two for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, a, a few of our guests have kind of told us that the West Indies is such a great place to tour and, you know, I, I imagine this is going to be a bit different. The games are all in empty stadiums, is that right? Yeah, so there's no crowds. I've heard a few few whispers that there might be crowds for the second half of the competition. Um, that, that would be awesome because I've heard, yeah, like the... Obviously, the atmosphere and the, and the buzz that the crowds make here is what I've, from what I've heard, is is you know some of the best in the world. You know, the, the tournament's got the the uh, I guess I guess it's the the motto or whatever of you know biggest party in sport, and that's due to the the crowd, you know, energy and buzz that they bring. So I've spoken to you know to Ish and a few of the the other boys, and they've said that you know it's a massive shame that there's no crowds, and obviously we're going to be located here in Trinidad for the entire time, so. Yeah, I'm a little bit gutted that I don't get to see a few of the other islands. Apparently, it's it's yeah, it's obviously an amazing part of the world. But if you flip that on its head, if if the world was normal at the moment, you know that I I probably wouldn't be here because I've sort of come in to replace another player. So yeah, I guess there's two sides to the coin. Yeah, hopefully you can you can do the business and uh, and get an invite back once the the world sort of returns to normal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, like I said, it's it's a pretty unique opportunity for me. Um. You know, usually the the way things go is you you represent New Zealand and and you do well there, and then you get recognised 
you know doing well for your country and then and then these leagues sort of come after that so mm. to have it in reverse order is is, is pretty unique and, and pretty special so yeah every opportunity i do get i'll be hopefully trying to, to grab it with two hands and and uh yeah it'll be great to come back next year and, and I mean, have you given much thought to our domestic summer? Are you sort of someone who sets goals and targets and things? Um, no, I'm, I'm not a massive goal setter. Yeah, I, I used to be, but I felt that, um, you know, when, when you didn't achieve them, I used to get pretty gutted or, or when I did, it was it was sort of a ceiling. So sort of went away from that and just tried to prepare as, as well as I could. Obviously, yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about our domestic summer. You know, I've been the, my pre-season planning was leading up to, to game one, which... Yeah, we still don't have a schedule because uh, I think they're still coming up with the best way to, to sort of shape the season. Um, I think they're trying to look to get, the because of the, the lack of international tours, they're trying to get the Black Caps around for, for most of the one-day and, and T20 stuff, which will be exciting. So, um, yeah, I think from what I've heard, they're going to start with the four days again. And, yeah, so that that was what my planning was. And then, yeah, it obviously obviously changed very quickly from... from uh, leaving and defending balls to, to to going back into T20 mode very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, thanks very much for your time, Nick. It's been it's been really nice to talk to you and, and hear about what's going on there. I mean, be, yeah, absolutely best of luck. I hope you get a, a, a real crack over there and, and show them what you're capable of. Yeah, cheers, cheers. It's, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much to Nick Kelly for joining us on the Top Order podcast, talking all things Caribbean Premier League. Before you leave the pod, though, please do dig into the back catalogue where you'll find some amazing interviews with some very topical individuals in the world of cricket. We've talked to Pakistan CEO Wasim Khan very recently, Jeetan Patel, who is currently in the UK, about to take up a stint with Warwickshire in the T20 competition over there. England assistant coach Graham Thorpe, as well as Colin Miller, and a really, really good chat with New Zealand cricketing legend Dion Nash. All in the back catalogue. Make sure you smash like, give us a retweet, or follow us on any of our social channels. It really does help others to find the podcast. But that's it for now. Dig into the back catalogue, and we'll see you next week.